Well, let's, uh, let's bow in prayer and ask God to guide our time as we open the word this morning. Father, we come before you today and we thank you for this time that we can open your word and, and just uh, reflect on what you've said in your word. And Lord, we pray that our lives would be impacted by, um, by your word this morning. Lord, we thank you for the mystery and the marvel of your word and the way it impacts us. Lord, I pray that you would anoint me, that I might speak your word in power and truth, and anoint all of us to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church this morning. Amen. Well, I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. It's interesting. Uh, I was going to start my message by playing a little game of who am I, and then we sing the song. I'm like, oh, that's kind of cute. <laughs> Got the answer already. But, uh, you know, you know, sometimes you can play a party game, and they stick a, a tag on your back, and you got to ask a bunch of questions to figure out who you are. Uh, well, today we're going to do sort of the opposite of that. I already know who I am, but I'm going to give you clues as to who I am, and you've got to figure out and try to guess it. Now, there's some rules to this game, okay? You can only guess once. Once you use up your, your guess, you're done. It's kind of like quizzing, you know? If you jump too soon, you don't get the full uh, extent of the question. But if you wait too long, someone else will jump. So it's up to you how quick you want to answer this question, you know? So just shout it out if you know the answer to the question, okay? I was, I, I was born in fulfillment of prophecy. My mother questioned the prophecy. My birth was miraculous. My death shocked a lot of people. As I was dying, I cried out to my father. There's a whole chorus of people going, Gee, how long? It took you a long time, right? But no, you're all wrong. <laughs> my mother watched me die. I was resurrected from the dead. I came to my house, but they wouldn't accept me. Eventually, my house was restored to me. Nobody knows my name. Nobody knows my parents' name. But the people do know about the furniture in the spare room at my house. They know that there's a bed and a table and a lamp and a, uh, a chair. My mom is known for the town from which she's from. My family and I live in Schumann. Who am I? Come on, do I have to give more clues? Gehazi put his staff on my head to raise me from the dead, but it didn't work. The prophet Elisha spread his body over me to warm me up before... Who am I? Shunammite's son, right. Yes, the Shunammite woman's son. Who said that first? Someone, I th <laughs> all right. I forgot there was a prize. <laughs> Maybe, <laughs> good job. <laughs> My favorite chocolate. I can't believe the last time I bought a chocolate bar, they were $1.50. Now they're four bucks. Who knew? Ay, ay, ay. Uh, good job. Uh, did you notice something as I was going along? You know, it took about five questions, but people all shouting out, Jesus, yes, yeah. Very interesting, isn't it? How much of this, this boy's life depicts 
Christ. The story of this miracle child is found in 2 Kings chapter 4, uh, verse 8 to 35, I believe. Um, and so I'm just going to tell it real quick. There was a, a Shunammite woman living in Shunam, Shunam, Shunam <laughs> hard to say that word. And uh, Elisha would come by there. And one day, as Elisha's coming there, this wealthy woman says, hey, why don't you stay at our place for dinner? You know, like, come and stay with us. And so he stayed there and ate, had some food. And every time he would go to Schumann, uh, he would stay at her house. And, and they would welcome him in and he'd have a meal. And uh, one day, um, the woman of the house said to her husband, hey, you know, why don't we... Uh, Let's make a room up on the on the attic, uh, on the roof, and let's put a, a table and a bed and a chair and a lamp in it, uh, so that when the man of God comes by, he can stay there and, and rest and, and have a place. Uh, and so that's what they did. And uh, so uh, Elisha went every time he went to Schumann, he would stay at this woman's house. And uh, and then one day. He said to Gehazi, his servant, he said, Gehazi, why don't you, why don't you call the Shunammite and uh, say to her, look, you have taken all this trouble for us. What is to be done for you? Maybe we could talk to the king for you on your behalf, or, or maybe we could talk to the, the commander of the army on your behalf. What would you like us to do for you? And the Shunammite woman said, oh, it's okay. I, I, I live amongst my own people. I'm quite happy. And, uh, and so... Uh, Elisha and Gehazi, his servant, uh, talked about it a little later. And, and, uh, and Elisha's like, well, what, what should we do for her? What should we do for her? And uh, Gehazi says, well, she doesn't have any son. And her, her husband's really old. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but <laughs> she doesn't have a son. Oh, call her in, call her in. And so Gehazi goes out and calls the Shunammite woman, and she comes and stands at the door, the little room, I guess. And uh, the man of God says to her, about this time next year, you're going to have a son in your arms. <gasps> the woman says, oh, no, my, my master, don't deceive your servant. <laughs> this can't be. She's just in shock. But come the next year, she becomes pregnant. She gives birth the next year to a son. And uh, when the child had grown up, he went out with the, his father one day uh, while, while they were reaping, and he went out to see his father. And while he was with his father in the field, suddenly he cries out to his father, my head, my head. And the father says, oh, gets one of the servants. Hey, take, take the boy to his mother. And so the servant grabs the boy, picks him up, and whisks him over to his mom's house uh, and, and brings, brings him there. And he sat on his mom's lap until noon. And at noon, he died. And the Shunammite woman takes the boy and she goes up and puts him on Elisha's bed in the upper room and then closes the door. And then she goes out to her husband and calls, hey, uh, husband, I don't know what his name is. Like I said, they don't have names. Husband, you know, uh, send him, send him uh, a servant and a donkey. I need them right away. I'm going to go see the man of God. And the uh, husband's like, uh, there's no, it's not moon, new moon and and there's no Sabbath. Why, why are you going to see the man of God? It's okay. It's okay. I just got to go now. Is everything okay? Yeah, everything's fine. And so sends a servant and a donkey, and off they go. 
And uh, as they're heading out to Mount Carmel, where, where uh, Elisha is living, um, Elisha sees her a long way off. And he goes, hey, I think that's the Shunammite woman. And he says to Gehazi, well, go and see what's, what's going on. And so Gehazi runs out down there to see what's going on with the Shunammite woman. And uh, the, he says, and Elisha says to him, you know, see, see if she's okay and if her husband's okay and if her son's okay. And uh, so uh, Gehazi does that. And the Shunammite woman comes to him and he says, and she says, yes, yes, we're all fine. We're all fine. Um, and and uh, continues on. And when she gets to Elisha, she falls at his feet and begs him and says, Elisha. And, and when she does this, Gehazi's like trying to push her away. What are you doing? And, and Elisha says to Gehazi, hey, whoa, whoa, can't you see? She's in deep, deep sorrow and distress. But the Lord has hidden from me what is going on in her heart. And, uh, and so uh, then she says, uh, didn't I say not to mess with me, my Lord? Didn't I say don't deceive me? And Elisha suddenly hears the word of the Lord. And he says, quick. And he takes his staff and he gives it to Gehazi. And he says, take my staff. Well, if you meet anybody, don't greet them. And if they greet you, don't greet them back. And just go. And when you get to, their, to her house, put my staff on the boy's face. And so Gehazi takes off. I guess Gehazi's faster than Elisha. I don't know. Anyways, so he gets down there, puts the staff on the boy's face. Um, but nothing happens. Um, and so the woman says, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you to Elisha. And so Elisha gets up and follows her. And they head back to Shunem. And when Elisha, uh, oh, and, and so they, they kind of meet Gehazi coming back the other way. And Gehazi has the bad news. The kid's not, not awake yet. The boy didn't wake up. And uh, so Elisha come into the house, and he saw the child laying on his bed. And so he went in, and he shut the door behind him. And then he prayed for the boy to be resurrected. And there was nothing happening. The boy was dead. So he, he laid on top of the boy, stretched his arms out to his arms, his mouth to his mouth, and his eyes to his eyes, the Bible says. And he just lay there on top of the boy until the boy warmed up. And then he would walk around the room for a bit to warm himself back up and then do it again. And all the while he was praying. And suddenly the boy opened his eyes and he sneezed seven times and he got up. And then Elisha called Gehazi, go call the woman. And uh, the Shunammite comes back and she falls at his feet. And thanks him for uh, bringing her son back to life. And then she takes her son and goes out. Well, the story doesn't even end there. A, few, uh, a while later, Elisha comes by the Shunammite's home. And he says uh, to the Shunammite woman, you know, you should go somewhere and live somewhere else. Because the Lord has decreed that there's going to be seven years of famine in the land. So you're not going to be able to make money off your land. And you better go somewhere else to live. So the Shunammite woman goes to the, Phil- uh, the Philistine country. And, uh, and then um, seven years pass by. And Gehazi's in with the king of Israel. 
And uh, the king of Israel says to Gazi, so tell me all about what Elisha's been doing. And so he's telling all these stories about Elisha healing water and pots and doing all this stuff. And then he gets to the, the, the healing or the rising of the son of the Shunammite woman. And wouldn't you know it, guess who walks in while he's telling the story about the Shunammite woman and her son to the king? The Shunammite woman. And she's there because when she came back to Israel to claim her house, there were people living in her house and occupying her land, and they would have nothing of having her back. And so she's gone to the king to ask for her land and house back. And so the king's like, you're the woman that you, and, and Gehazi says, yes, this is the woman and here's your son. And so the king says, tell me about this. What happened? And he explains the exact same story as what Gehazi had just told the king. And so the king says, oh, he dis- dispatches a, a servant and says, go and get those people out of that woman's house. Get her in there and get her fields back to her. And in fact, everything that has, she has made for everything, every cent that's been made from her fields, all has to be paid to her. <laughs> so, pretty cool. Anyways, that's the story of the Shunammite woman's son. Um, the unnamed son of the unnamed woman in the undisclosed whereabouts town. We have no idea where Shunammite is. We, we assume it's fairly close to Mount Carmel because, you know, the woman could get there. But we don't really know where it is. And so... Seems a bit obscure, but what did you think of the first nine uh, slides that we I showed you? The first nine questions. Let's next slide. I think. No, back up. Two. There we go. See all these. What did they remind you of? Jesus, Jesus right? Don't you think that's a bit weird? <laughs> I, I'd like to just kind of. Check out these clues one by one um, real quick. We're just going to read the verses that apply to both of these stories, the story of Jesus Christ and the story of the Shunammite son. Uh, so I was born in fulfillment of prophecy. Uh, at this season next year, you'll embrace the son, Elisha said. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Listen, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and, and call his name Jesus. Uh, the mother questions the prophecy. Shunammite says, No, my Lord, man of God, do not lie to your servant. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I have known no man? The birth was miraculous. The woman conceived and bore a son at the season, at the time when Elisha had told her. The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One who is born will be called Son of God. Of course, that was to Mary. I think you get the idea. The one on the left is the Shunammite son, and the one on the right is about Jesus. Shocking death. The boy said to his father, My head, my head. His servant takes him to, to his mother, and there he dies at noon. Jesus, when he cried out with a loud voice, released his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The ground shook and the rocks split apart. The graves were also opened and many bodies of the saints who died were raised. And the centurion said, surely this is the son of God. They both cried out to their father when they were dying. The child said, my head, my head to his father. And in the ninth hour, Jesus cried out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
Both mothers watched them die. Uh, Shunammite's mother held him, held him on her knee until he died. And of course, uh, John 19, verse 25 says, But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, his mother's sister, and a few other Marys. The bodies, I didn't actually mention this earlier, but the bodies were both laid in a confined space. Uh, she went up and laid him down on the bed of the man of God and shut the door and went out. And of course, Jesus, Joseph, when he had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it on his new tomb, which he had cut out of the rock and rolled a large stone to the door of the tomb. Of course, both are resurrected. Elisha got down, walked back and forth in the house, went up, bent over him, and the boy sneezed seven times, and the boy opened his eyes. Jesus, the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen. Just as he said, go quickly and tell his disciples, he is risen from the dead and is going ahead of you to Galilee. Now, this one's interesting. Came home, but wasn't accepted. At the end of seven years, she came back to the land of the Philistines and went to appeal to the king for her house and land. But this is what Jesus says. I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He was in this world, and John says this about him, he was in this world, and through, though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Interesting. Eventually their house was or will be restored. Uh, then he signed an officer to his case and said to him, give back everything that belonged to her, and we already told you that story. And the same... It's interesting, um, the Israelites are called the house of Israel by um, Ezekiel. And Ezekiel prophesies that just as, as dead bones can't live, yet the house of Israel will receive the Spirit of God. And so uh, Romans says, so all Israel will be saved, as it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion and will turn the godless away from Jacob. Pretty amazing. Ten amazing similarities between this unknown Shunammite and Jesus Christ. Now, this is just some kind of weird coincidence, like, you know, that going, like, oh, that's kind of weird, some freak storytelling that just happens to line up. You might be tempted to think so, if it weren't for the fact <laughs> that the Old Testament is chock full of stories like this, chock full of incidents and stories and events that just line up perfectly with Jesus Christ's life and death. It's just amazing. It's so frequent, it's impossible to brush it off as just a mere coincidence. Somebody orchestrated this. You know who that was? It was God. He put this into the scripture on purpose so that people 2,000 years later would be going, oh my goodness, did you see that? That's incredible. That can only be of divine origin. Uh, you might think, well, Jesus could have aligned his life to all of these stories in the Old Testament, you know, just figured it all out. Uh, did you notice that a lot of this was about his birth? And his death? It's kind of hard to orchestrate your birth and your death. It just doesn't work that way. <laughs> and a lot of the scriptures have that. So Christians down through the ages uh, have looked through the Old Testament and gone, look at that. 
There's Jesus in the Old Testament right there. And again and again. It's, it, the stories of Christ, the vignettes in the Old Testament, are they're just peppered throughout the book. These are not prophecies, but they're what theologians call prefigures or types of Christ. And honestly, you don't have to be a theologian to see to see them. They're, they're pretty obvious. Um, now, the Jewish people have always been interested in these pictures of the Messiah, the coming Messiah. And they all believed that the Old Testament prophesied and foretold the coming of a Messiah. And so the Jews of Jesus' day were the same way. They believed very sincerely that the Messiah was coming and was going to... And for them, they were hoping that the Messiah would free them from Roman rule. Um, and so Philip is one of these people. And this is exactly what he believed. He believed that the Old Testament talked about the coming Messiah. Uh, because after he met Jesus, he said to his friend Nathaniel, he said, Hey, Nathaniel, uh, we have found him whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. You see what he's saying? He's saying, this guy, we have met somebody that fulfills the old, what the Old Testament was saying about him. We just met him. Uh, before the New Testament was written, when they said the law and the prophets, what they meant was the scriptures, the Bible, that was written up to that time. And so Philip expected Nathaniel to be convinced that Jesus was the Messiah because he could see for himself that Jesus clear, was clearly identified in the law and the prophets. It's kind of cool. Um, but you know what's really cool is that Jesus himself said over and over that he was written about in the Old Testament. He said it all the time. Luke chapter 24, 44. All things must be fulfilled which are written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. He's saying that I'm going to fulfill these things. Uh, John 5, 39 and 46. You search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify about me. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote about me. Pretty cool. Jesus is saying the very same thing that I've just said. Uh, Hebrews 10, verse 7. Uh, Behold, I've come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me. Uh, Luke 24, 27. Beginning at Moses and all the prophets. This is Jesus. He's, he's talking to the two disciples on the way to Emmaus. And he says... Uh, beginning with the prophets and or Moses and all the prophets, Jesus expounded to them all the scriptures concerning himself. I'm telling you, that would have been a long, long talk. Because <laughs> there is a lot of scriptures uh, in the Old Testament that just prophesy and, and look forward to Christ. Now, now there's both prophecy. There, there's kind of two categories. One is prophecy. And, and, and I mean, there's so many of these. Um, you know, things like he'd be born of the tribe of Judah. Uh, he'd be born in Bethlehem. He'd, be, he'd send, spend some time in Egypt. He'd ride uh, into Jerusalem on a donkey. He'd be silent in the face of his accusers. Every, the very words that they mocked him on the cross are written in the book of Psalms chap, in chapter 22. The, the very words that they used to mock him. They said, you know, uh, if you're the son of God, come down from the cross and then we'll believe you. That's exactly what it said. In the Psalms, having his hands and feet pierced, both the psalmist and Zechariah say this. Now, this is astounding because 
Crucifixion wasn't invented yet when Zechariah and King David wrote these things. But they just prophesied there. It's amazing. Uh, they cast lots for his clothes, that he'd be spat upon and beaten, that he would be signed a rich man's grave, that his death was an atonement for sin. And the list goes on and on and on and on. Do you know that there's three, at least 350 direct prophecies about Jesus Christ that were fulfilled by Jesus Christ? 350. We'd be spending all afternoon just jotting all these things down. What does this say to you? To me, it says, this book is incredible. This book has, in fact, to me, I, I teach a class on, on why you can trust the Bible. And, and the number one reason I believe you can trust the Bible is because of the prophecies fulfilled, word for word, direct prophecies written 700, thousands, thousands of years before. They all come true. It's amazing. Um, but there's not just prophecies of the Old Testament. There's also these prefigurings or these types of Christ that we see. Shadows, as it were, of Christ in the Old Testament. Um, Hebrews 10, verse 1 says this. The law was only a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities. What's the true form of these realities? It's Jesus Christ, right? He's the true form. But there was this shadow. Now, if you've ever seen a shadow, you might say from the shadow. Uh, the other day I saw a shadow on, on our front lawn. I'm like, what is that shadow? I couldn't see what was making the shadow. And I thought, that's a very strange shadow on our front lawn. And then I looked around the corner, and it was a, it was a kind of a bumpy shadow, right? And I looked around, and oh, yeah, it's the snowman that pre-built. <laughs> She's never seen snow before. I mean, she's just having fun with the snow. Uh, but yeah, but we don't look at the shadow and go, oh, isn't that a magnificent snowman? No, the shadow is cast from the magnificent snowman. It's beautiful. You know, I had a carrot nose. and, Anyways. <laughs> so the reality casts a shadow, right? And so we, need, we don't want to, want to get so caught up with the shadow. But the shadow can be pretty important. It can, you can go like, oh, what is causing that shadow? And it can cause you to be drawn to the reality. In Colossians 2, verse 16 and 17, it says, The festival or new moon or Sabbath are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance is Christ. Isn't that beautiful? The real thing is coming. And all these things in the Old Testament, they're just shadows. They're, they're, they're like, a, like a, a precursor. They don't describe it in detail. And it, it'd be pretty hard to go from the Shunammite son and figure out exactly what's going to happen to Jesus, right? That would be kind of a stretch. But when we go backwards, it's like, whoa, whoa, yeah, <laughs> it's really clear. <laughs> so um, the New Testament actually identifies all of these shadows in the Old Testament. It's really cool. Matthew, uh, Matthew compares Jesus with Joshua, jo- Jonah. Sorry, For just as Jonah was in three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Uh, John 3.14 uh, compares Jesus with the bronze serpent. You know, anyone who looked at the bronze serpent was healed after, from a, a serpent bite. And so it's the same with Jesus on the cross. Uh, Jesus is compared with manna. Moses gave you manna, 
but the true bread that comes from my Father is here, and that's Jesus Christ himself. Romans compares Jesus with Adam. Adam is a type of who he who was to come. Corinthians 5.7 compares Jesus with the Passover lamb. For indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. 1 Corinthians 10.4 compares Jesus with the rock that accompanied Israel in the wilderness. Uh, Hebrews 6.18 compares Jesus with the cities of refuge. We who have fled for refuge might have a strong encouragement and hold fast to the hope that is with before us. Hebrews 10.20 compares Christ's body that was torn on the cross with the, the curtain in the temple that was ripped in half. And he's saying that Christ's body represents a way into the Holy of Holies. It's really cool. These are all prefigurings that happen. Um, Colossians 2, 11 points out that circumcision prefigured the putting off of the old nature. Um, and Hebrews 4 says that the rest that we uh, enjoyed on the Sabbath prefigures the rest that is going to happen in heaven. So these are all shadows and types of Christ that are specifically talked about in the New Testament. But Christians down through the ages have also looked through the Old Testament and found all kinds of other types and figures of Christ, just littered throughout the Old Testament. So right from the beginning, uh, God gives a- animal skins to Adam and Eve, right? What does that signify? It signifies that somebody had to die for them, to, for their covering. Uh, God accepted Abel's animal offering rather than Cain's. Vegetable offering. What does that signify? Something about blood being spilt, right? Uh, then there's the potent story of Abraham taking his son Isaac and going up Mount Moriah, and then and then the angel telling you know telling him to kill his son, and he's about to kill his son, stick the knife into him, and, and then God, the angel calls to him, "Hold it, hold it, it's all okay." And then they find a ram in the thicket, and they substitute the ram for Isaac powerful story about how God substituted us but with Jesus Christ who died in our place and and his life was given for us powerful stuff <laughs> i mean the descriptions of Christ in the uh, in the old testament are abound like all the whole sacrificial system it was all prefiguring Christ because in the New Testament, we read that the blood of bulls and goats can never take away sin. But it prefigured the one who could take away sin. It's amazing. And I could go on and on describing Joseph and Abigail and Job and Solomon and David. All types of Christ. And, of, and, uh, and then there was the many miracles that are in the Old Testament. Christ does them, but better. You know, uh, Jesus restored a withered hand, right? Well... King Jeroboam's hand was withered and was restored. Elisha fed a hundred men with twenty loaves of bread. Uh, Jesus is like, ah, that's nothing. I'll take five loaves and two fish and feed five thousand people. You know, uh, Moses provided manna. Jesus is the bread of life. Elisha cleansed one man of leprosy. Jesus cleansed ten. Uh, Elisha knew what Ge- Gehazi was thinking and what he had done. But Jesus knows everyone's thoughts. Elisha gave, gave Elisha's death. We're going to get to this story hopefully in the new year. 
enabled one man to come back to life. But Christ's death enabled all of us to have eternal life. It's amazing. So what's, what's the purpose of all these foreshadowings, all these stories I've been telling, all these scripture passages? Well, I, I believe one of the purposes is to show you how miraculous this book really is. It's an incredible book. It's phenomenal, really. And you can't get away from the fact that there's a divine origin going on here. There's something super mysterious. It's just, if you don't see it, you're just blind, okay? You're just not paying attention. <laughs> um, and, and so if you've learned everything that the Old Testament can teach, in fact, if you could recount every story, recite endless verses, but if it doesn't lead you to Christ then you made the same mistake that the religious leaders made in Jesus' day. They didn't see it. They didn't catch it. They completely missed it. And Jesus criticized them, and he said, you know, you search the Scriptures, because you think in them you have eternal life, but the Scriptures speak of me, and yet you refuse to come to me and have life. And so this is a great challenge to all of us, If you've never come to Jesus Christ and confessed that you're a sinner and accepted his sacrificial death on your behalf, you're missing out on all that the Bible says. And all you got to do is ask Christ to come into your heart. Confess that you're a sinner, that you've not accepted this gift of eternal life, not accepted this gift of companionship with God Almighty. And then accept it. And you'll be a child of God's. And you'll be welcomed into his family. The Bible says that the law was a tutor to bring us to Christ. <laughs> I love that. Right? The whole Old Testament was just like a like a, a tutor that was giving you special instructions. You're gonna find Christ. You, you just watch. Um, it's almost like the Old Testament's like a treasure map. And Christ is the treasure, right? Um, so today, being the first, uh, first Sunday of Advent, I just couldn't help but see these massive parallels to today's story and with Christ. And I just thought, I just felt like God was just saying, you should, you should share this with, you know, it kind of fits. The, the first Sunday of Advent is normally reserved for pro- prophecy. And I'm just like, yeah, I'm not blind. I can see this, Lord. <laughs> I see what you're doing here. <laughs> but there are some other things. I, just in closing, I want to share about the story of uh, the Shunammite son. Just some things that I think are, you know, they don't have anything to do with Jesus, and they have nothing to do with, you know, the parallels. But they're powerful. And so the first thing is, is that this story is a window into God's heart. That God... Uh, blesses those who serve him with a pure heart. This woman served God with a pure heart. She just gave this stuff to the man of God. She wasn't expecting anything in return. And when she was told that she was going to get something in return, she's like, no, don't, don't deceive me. Don't, don't lie to me. She, she like couldn't believe it. Uh, but she was like, you know, she couldn't believe it. Uh, but God was faithful to her and God blessed her. Uh, Elisha was also a man of God, and God fulfilled his requests 
when he requested that the shooter might have a son, God honored that. When he requested that God raise the boy from the dead, God honored that. Um, now, we read about someone who requested the same request, Gehazi. Gehazi made the request that God would bring life to the boy as well. Why was his prayer not answered? I believe it's because of what was in the heart of Gehazi. See, Gehazi, we find out in the next story, you'll have to wait a few weeks for that one because they're going to go to Christmas. But (laughs) maybe in January we'll talk about Naaman being healed. But Gehazi really blew it that day, and we found out what was in his heart was greed. But what was in Elisha's heart was never charging for the miracles of God and that it would be an anathema to expect money for what God was doing. And so we see the heart. And so I believe this story is all about the heart. And the, woman, the pe- people who serve God faithfully, expecting nothing in return, God just turns around and blesses them. And this is what I, I really despise about the um, wealth gospel that is being preached in North America today. Because it's almost like they're saying, give to the Lord and God will bless you. So that's the reason you give, is to get blessed. But this story tells us very, very clearly that the giving to the Lord's work was not done to receive back. Now, the truth of the matter is the Bible does teach us that we will receive back. But it's the heart that is sold out for Christ's work and for service. That is the heart that God is going to bless and God is going to do miracles. The, the Shunammite woman received a child, <laughs> received the child back from the dead, and received her house back from being stolen. It's pretty incredible. And this was all because she was generous to a man of God. But the Bible says, and this is what James writes, uh, and I think he's referring to his example of this prayer is Elijah, but I think it would equally fit with Elisha. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would establish in our hearts the preeminence of your word. And Lord, as we see Christ reflected over and over in the Old Testament, we ask, Lord, that you would give us great confidence in your word so that when your word tells us how to live our life, and it doesn't line up with the way the world tells us how to live our life, that we would put our trust in your word every time. And Lord, even some churches are teaching of false doctrines and false things, Lord, but help us to stay true to your word, because in your word, your word has life. And so, Father, we pray that you would come into our hearts and give us wisdom to discern and decipher your word and apply it to our lives. Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Make us attuned to your spirit. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.